Devoncast from Radio X. Hello and welcome to Devoncast, the weekly podcast looking at local and regional issues in Devon, the politics, the people and how decisions here affect how we live, work and enjoy our county. I'm Ollie Heptonstall and on the way this week, now the dust has settled after the local elections, we speak to two of the victorious party leaders. Luke Taylor's Lib Dems romp to victory in mid-Devon, while Dave Thomas's Tories buck the trend to take overall control in Torbay. Politics expert Dr Stuart Fox also joins us to give his verdict on the results and what they tell us ahead of next year's likely general election. And as the Devon County show returns, show manager Lisa Moore tells us what to expect and why you should come along. I think this year it's got something for everybody. Devoncast from Radio X. But first, with just over a week since those local elections changed the face of Devon's political map, let's find out what they all mean with Dr Stuart Fox, Senior Lecturer in Politics at the University of Exeter. Hi Stuart, thanks for joining us. Hi there. Now, we had you on a few weeks ago to preview the election, Stuart. Did they go as you predicted? Obviously big wins for the Lib Dems, Labour taking control of both our cities again, and the Tories struggling almost everywhere. Yes, yeah, I I think the, the broad pattern... Uh, of the elections was more or less as expected. But I think the scale of the Conservative losses uh, and uh, the Liberal Democrat gains, it has to be said, uh, not just in Devon but elsewhere, they were both beyond expectations. So it was probably an even worse night for the Conservatives than expected and a much better set of election results for the Liberal Democrats uh, than certainly I was expecting, and I think than the parties were probably expecting themselves. Any particular surprising <clears throat> results for you? Uh, well, in Devon, yeah, I think uh, the results that really caught my eye was the uh, the Liberal Democrat very impressive result in mid-Devon. Uh, they winning over 20 seats at kind of the expense of both the Conservatives and Independents. That one really did book the national trend, even taking the Liberal Democrats' strong performance into account. That was a really impressive result for them. And they've now got control of that council for the first time since 1999. Another one that stood out was Plymouth. This one got a lot of uh, national attention, of course. And I I think even the Conservatives are admitting uh, that their particularly poor result in Plymouth probably had quite a bit to do with their decision to chop down all the trees. And it was the Labour Party that were the major beneficiaries of that. And that was held up by Keir Starmer and other Labour politicians as evidence that they are making gains where they need to be making gains in order to win the next election. And then the other result that stood out was Torbay, where the Conservatives made gains and took control of the council from no overall control, which just stood out because it was a rare success story for a party that was really getting a hammering across Devon and across the country but here they've, they've actually managed to make some gains and take control of the county. Yeah, you mentioned two of those election results there that we'll uh, take a closer look at. Firstly, Mid-Devon, as you mentioned, a great result for the Lib Dems, gaining 22 seats to take control of the council. Earlier in the week, I caught up with new council leader Luke Taylor, who's understandably a very happy man. It was a fantastic result. I mean, it was sort of our best expectations, you know, where, where we thought we, we had a chance of winning. Every single one of them was returned which is always a, a, a great outcome. Um, people worked hard, they campaigned hard, and we got the reaction uh, and the results that we wanted. It's always difficult when national government aren't doing well and, and you know opposition parties can also always have success from doing that. And I think we were fortunate with, with what's happening on national front, but also that we had excellent candidates who, who fought hard. 
Did you ever expect to win quite as many seats as you did, obviously going up from 11 to 33? Quite a remarkable change. Uh, a 200% increase, absolutely. Um, when I joined uh, sort of eight years ago onto the council when I was first elected, there were five Liberal Democrats, and that's now the uh, the total for the Conservatives. I mean, it's a fantastic result. I, I never imagined that we would get that high. Uh, you know, I had figures in my head. I, I thought we had an opportunity to perhaps take control of the council, following on from the, the Tiverton and Honiton by-election last year. But yeah, 33 was always almost a pipe dream away, but it's, uh, it's come to reality. Yeah, you mentioned that by-election win. That was seen at the time by some as a sort of protest vote against Boris Johnson and his government. What do you think this result tells people who perhaps thought that at the time? Well, I, I think nationally, the, the government's been a shambles. I mean, it's gone from one Conservative prime minister to another. You know, we've had a prime minister there for a matter of weeks, messing up the country, and we're still suffering from that now. We've then got the problems with, uh, you know, Richard Sunak now. He doesn't seem to be grasping it very well. We're not seeing changes to cost of living. We're not seeing massive improvements to what we're paying for items. You know, we're still seeing the high energy bill. You know, nothing from that side of things is changing and, and we need to see that change coming in. What were voters telling you of, of their concerns and their priorities during the election campaign? Most people's are about local issues, to be fair. People are frustrated at, you know, you're, you're constantly paying council tax and we're losing more money because central government are constantly cutting our funding. People are annoyed about the state of the roads. I know that's a county issue, but, you know, the, the state of the roads seem to be the worst they've been. People are frustrated that there's not enough council properties being built. You know, Mid-Devon's hardly built any council properties for, for a couple of decades now. And we, we need to start, you know, taking ownership of that and start building more. But people were also frustrated nationally with the Conservatives. The amount of people I spoke to who, lifelong Conservative voters, who weren't going to vote Conservative again, you know, they are that upset with how the country's gone. And do those comments from residents align with your priorities now for the council? Obviously, it's a bit easier sitting in opposition than it is running the council. What are you going to be saying when you meet the chief executive later today as to your priorities and what you want to set out and put into place for Mid-Devon? Well, our priorities are we've got to build more social housing. Um, you know, council housing has been in decline and that really needs to be a push. The projects that are already ongoing, they need to be completed and we need to be starting off with more projects. We need to relook at three rivers. I know a meeting has already taken place today with another meeting due to take place next week. We need to, you know, grab that by the horns. And, and you know, our, our view would be that it could almost be turned into a company to produce um, social housing. Um, and, you know, we need to make sure things like leisure services are protected. That was all part of our manifesto. And we need to make sure that we fulfill on that increasing um, recycling, you know, the items that can be recycled. We need to make sure that we're, we're pushing for our net zero target of 2030. You know, there's no more excuses. We need to be hitting that target. That's Lib Dem Luke Taylor, the new leader of Mid-Devon District Council. That result, Stuart, obviously backs up last year's by-election win for the Liberal Democrats in Tiverton and Honiton. But obviously the uh, boundaries are changing for the next general election, aren't they? Yes, yes, they are. They're changing quite a few of the constituencies in Devon are having changes to some extent. It's going to be very interesting to see whether or not the Liberal Democrats are able to replicate their success uh, in the next general election. The the new constituency that encapsulates what is most of now uh, mid-Devon is going to be bringing in some slightly more Tory voting areas to it. But the Liberal Democrats are very good at building on their successes, uh, campaigning in local areas, making sure people see their candidates, get the activists out on the streets. And as we've just seen, that by-election victory 
uh, last year has helped them maintain that momentum and grow their support in Mid-Devon for this local election result. And I think you can be confident that they're going to keep that momentum going to try and make sure that they're able to improve their performance, even in these new constituencies that are going to appear at the next election. So it's going to be very challenging for them, but they're doing everything they're doing everything right that would suggest they're going to be very competitive. One bit of good news, though, for the Conservatives, as you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, came in Torbay, where the party bucked the local and national trend to gain four seats and take overall control of the council there. I asked incoming leader Dave Thomas how surprised he was at the result. It's a really interesting question. It's the one that everybody's asking me. To be honest, and, and what I was asked the question many times before the election, were we going to take control of Torbay? And my response at that time was, look, we're having fantastic doorstep conversations all across the Bay. And if those doorstep conversations translate into votes, I believe that uh, we could have, um, you know, take control of the council. Clearly, what we saw at the count on Friday was those doorstep conversations did materialise into votes. And as a result of that, we have seen uh, we have actually got control of the council, which is uh, which is obviously fantastic for the uh, Conservative group at Torbay Council. You've mentioned in previous interviews that you did a survey of tens of thousands of residents last year. Where did the thinking for that come from, and how much do you think it helped during the campaign and on election day? I think it was really significant, to be honest. In my own personal talking to various residents and bits and pieces in the summer of last year, people were kind of saying to me that they felt that the residents had become a bit of a hindrance. They felt that the the you know previous administration was, uh, one quote was, it feels as though councillors were like, this job would be okay if it wasn't for the residents, which just got me thinking, this is bizarre. At the end of the day, the, the council is there to do one thing and one thing only, and that's to look after its residents. And then when I started to evaluate that a little bit more, I thought, well, OK, let's pull together a survey and um, and let's just see what people really think. Not by asking, you know, big, far reaching questions, but let's really concentrate on local issues and just try and get some some response, some real feel and some data. And so we did that in in my own ward um in preston and the response that we got back from it was was huge it was really overwhelming and it seemed as though the set of questions there because they were local and because it had a real local feel people were engaging in it and i think also um because it was so far away from any kind of elections they felt and quite rightly so that it was a genuine ask we were genuinely asking residents probably for the first time, you know, million miles away from elections. What do you feel of this? What do you feel of that? And basically, I think it's all that information and that data that came in that enabled us to build our manifesto. Uh, and we provided something that residents certainly um, hooked into. Now you've taken control then, what are your priorities for Torbay? What do you want to implement in your first couple of years? We have, we have an extensive manifesto. There's a lot of things on there. Some of those things we believe we can bring forward quite quickly. Others will take, take time. Some of the things that uh, I think you'll probably see really, really early on is line markings. 
across Torbay, white line markings. Look, um, we've been in the in the job literally two days, and basically um, we're already starting to talk to officers about what are the things that we can actually do immediately so residents can see that we want to make an early start, but we'll be producing our full community and corporate plan sometime after the 25th of May. So we, that's when we've got our um, full council meeting where we can have all our positions put in place. Our manifesto uh, is built on six pillars and those six pillars will reflect in the community and corporate plan moving forward. And just finally then, Councillor Thomas, how do you think last week's result sets Torbay up for next year's general election? Obviously, the Lib Dems will, will still be eyeing it up. Oh, I'm sure, of course they will. And uh, But what I would say is, you know, a strong Conservative base within the Torbay constituency, the Totnes constituency, because, of course, within Torbay Council authority, um, you know, it's the whole of Torbay constituency and probably about 45% of what will be the South Devon constituency. I think there's absolutely everything to play for. Councillor Dave Thomas, leader-elect of Torbay Council, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you indeed. An interesting result there, Stuart, and it shows what a, a bit of smart campaigning can do. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Councillor Thomas is is right to be proud of the effort that they put into surveying residents, finding out exactly what it was that they were unhappy about or happy about, uh, and tailoring their uh, manifesto and their campaign approach accordingly. I, I think maybe... Although I certainly don't uh, blame Councillor Thomas for making sure that the party takes as much credit for the result as possible. I think what may be missing from Councillor Thomas's interpretation of the result is that what's happened in Torbay for the Conservative success actually reflects a success story, which they haven't had many of in these elections, that have occurred elsewhere in the country as well, and even help us understand why the Liberal Democrats were able to do so well in Mid-Devon. And that is the collapse of the support for alternative candidates to the major parties, usually independent candidates or residents association candidates, and particularly uh, UKIP. We have to remember that the last time these seats were contested was in May 2019. Theresa May was the Prime Minister. Parliament, the government, politics was deadlocked by Brexit. The parties were fighting amongst themselves as well as against each other, and voters were not at all happy with this, and they expressed their frustration particularly with the major parties, but even some of the smaller parties like the Liberal Democrats, by voting for independent candidates in record numbers in 2019. It was a record election for independent candidates and really small parties in that election. This time around, the major parties have been picking up those votes again that were lost to either much smaller parties such as UKIP or independent candidates. And that has really helped all three major parties improve their performance in some areas. But if we take Torbay, for instance, six independents lost their seats in this election in Torbay. The Liberal Democrats gained two, the Conservatives gained four. But on top of that, there were only 17 independent or other smaller party candidates in Torbay last week. In 2019, there were 25 independents and nine UKIP candidates. A great many people who supported UKIP are not going to find anything appealing about the Liberal Democrats or Labour or the Greens, for example. They've only really got one place to go. That's the Conservatives. And we have seen the Conservatives picking up that UKIP or former Brexit party or some of the independent vote in places like Torbay, where support for Brexit in the EU referendum was much higher. 
And that's where their success stories come from. That's why they've been able to book the national trend. They are picking up those supporters that they lost so catastrophically in the 2019 local elections. And we've also seen the Liberal Democrats do it on the other side of the divide. They've been picking up a lot of support from independents as well. So part of the Conservative success in Torbay is undoubtedly down to an effective campaign operation and a very well-written manifesto. But we shouldn't overlook the fact that part of their success also reflects the fact that there's a lot less competition for the Conservatives this time. And voters have got less of a reason to just reject party politics altogether. And that's seen some perhaps natural Tory voters move back to the party and it's helped them take control of the council in this case. Mm, that's a good point you make. And it is a surprising point about the, the fall in the independent vote. I know there are quite a lot of independents still in the north of the county, particularly Torridge, but it'll be interesting to see how that uh, continues in the years ahead. As for Torbay, the uh, parliamentary seat, Stuart, what do you think the result tells us ahead of what could be a really interesting battle for that seat at the next general election? Absolutely, yes. Torbay is probably one of the kinds of seats that the Conservatives will be optimistic that they'll be able to do well in, precisely because uh, it's where there was a lot of support for Brexit back in the EU referendum. And these are the kinds of constituencies where the Conservatives were able to grow their support in the 2017 and particularly the 2019 general election. Torbay was one of the two uh, constituencies that had the highest levels of support for Brexit in the EU referendum with about 62% of the electorate backing it. The only other one that had more than that was Plymouth More View. The Conservatives will be hopeful that in the next election, areas where there are lots of pro-Brexit voters, perhaps older, perhaps very socially conservative voters who are concerned about immigration, they'll be hoping that they'll be able to hold on to those voters, even if they're not necessarily happy with how the Conservatives are running the economy or running the health service, for example, because they're not going to see Keir Starmer's Labour Party or the Liberal Democrats as an alternative who's going to be in line with their core values, those values that led them to support Brexit in the first place. This result tells us that the Conservatives are still able to hold on to some of that pro-Brexit Conservative vote, uh, in this case, picking up those who probably voted for UKIP and some of the Eurosceptic independent candidates in the past. These local election results tell us that the Conservatives can still appeal to those voters, even when they are very, very unpopular nationally. So it's going to give the Conservatives some hope that in the next election, they might be able to repeat this feat and hold on to those voters and therefore avoid a really catastrophic result in places like Torbay or indeed Plymouth Moorview. You mentioned Labour there. It was a good set of local elections for them across the country. Here in Devon, they uh, regained control of Plymouth City Council. They also have maintained control of Exeter Council. And after the result came in, I asked Exeter's Labour leader, Phil Bialik, what the results tell us ahead of that general election. Well, I think it's a clear indication. Um, the Conservative Prime Minister is going to have to look long and hard. I think we'll be waiting most probably towards the end of next year before we have a general election because they will want to go for as long as they can in the hope that it's getting better. Mm. I, I mean, not that Rishi Sunak listens to me. I'd say to him, do you know what? It's only going to get worse, mate. And uh, But he's going to hang on uh, for grim death. And then, of course, we know a lot of their MPs are all leaving Parliament because they know the writing's on the wall. And speaking of that general election, Stuart, do you think the main parties will now be more confident or feeling more pessimistic? I think it's uh, 
it's probably a mixed bag. Labour have certainly been keen to argue ever since the local election results came in last week that the data shows that they're on course to win a majority in the next general election. And results such as those that they've uh, achieved in Exeter and particularly Plymouth do give, I think, Labour cause for optimism. Uh, Plymouth is exactly the kind of area that Labour managed to effectively repel in the 2019 election, but it's the kind of place where they're going to need to win if they're to have any chance of forming a majority in the House of Commons after the next election. The results like that should give them uh, cause for optimism. The Conservatives are going to be pessimistic. Uh, they were telling everybody that they expected to lose a thousand seats, which, as I said the last time I spoke to you, uh, if that figure and the fact that the Conservatives were willing to make it public tells us anything, it's that they were expecting to lose considerably less than a thousand seats in these elections. But if we look at the national picture, I think the real winner uh, of this set of local elections was more the, the anti-Tory party or the anti-Tory vote rather than Labour. Labour certainly did very well, but in order to win the next election, by which I mean former majority government, Labour need to achieve the kind of swing against the Conservatives that Tony Blair achieved in 1997. In fact, they have to do slightly better than that. Now, if we look at these results, Labour's 500 gains and the fact that they are now the largest party in English local government, they are still not in control of anything like the number of council seats that they were in the 1995 and 96 local elections, nor are they achieving quite the same national vote share uh, that they were getting before that 1997 landslide. So these results were really bad for the Conservatives and quite good for Labour. But I think the Conservatives will take a bit of solace from the fact that they don't suggest that Labour is doing quite as well as it's going to need to in order to win a comfortable majority after the next election. And just finally, a note on the Green Party as well. Some good results for them, especially in Exeter, where they're now the second largest party. Yeah, indeed. The Greens did very well, took control of the council for the first time as well in this election, although not in Devon. Uh, they have picked up support in most of the places uh, that they have stood. And they've had some particular successes uh, in some of the kind of traditional Tory shire uh, councils and districts as well. And to some extent, I think this reflects this anti-Tory vote that I mentioned a moment ago, where really, uh, whether it's Labour, the Liberal Democrats or the Greens, the party that has done well at the expense of the Conservatives has been whichever one was strongest uh, in that area, whichever one was best placed to capitalise on disgruntlement with the Conservatives. And in some parts of the country, that has been the Greens. Uh, I think this has been a particularly good set of local election results for the Liberal Democrats and the Greens because they've been able to make gains pretty much all over the place. And in some cases, in Exeter, as you mentioned, where they've made gains despite there being another rival, which wasn't the Tory party. In this case, it was Labour. But the Greens, I think, are building up the resources that suggest they are going to be able to be a threat to the major parties in perhaps one or two constituencies when that general election comes around. Always great to have your thoughts and your insights, Stuart. Thanks very much for joining us again on Devoncast. Thank you. Devoncast. From Radio X. Now to round off this week's edition of Devoncast, the Devon County Show returns to West Point near Exeter on Thursday through until Saturday, a big celebration of rural life here in Devon. And to find out more about this year's event, I've been speaking to acting show manager Lisa Moore.
Well, this year we're going back to May after two years of COVID shows in 21-22, which was the end of June, beginning of July. Um, we're actually going back to our original dates, which is the third week of May. And we are having a full complement of all our competitions, all our livestock uh, back again, which we haven't able to have for the last two years. What are the main attractions this year? What's new? Like I said, we've got all our competitions back. So we will have uh, cattle and goats, alpacas. We've got sheep. We've got all the livestock back in. We've got horses, show jumping. We've got Bulldogs MFX coming on the Friday and Saturday. They are a motorcycle team. They're very well supported. So we're having them back on the Friday and Saturday. And there's entertainment all over the showground. There's um, competitions in the main ring. There's um, also, we've brought back some tortoises this year. Uh, we have some giant tortoises for the first time coming to the show. We've done a lot on social media with them and they seem to be really popular. So I think people enjoy seeing them. Oh, fantastic. And what do you think the enduring appeal is of the Devon County show? Like you say, it started in 1872. Why is it still as popular as ever? I think with Devon in particular, it's um, where we are and the people that are around us. There's not many opportunities for a lot of people from Exeter to come out and see a large animal up close and personal. And we have really good access within the hall so visitors can come in and they can see these magnificent um, animals. Um, we have all different breeds of cattle there. And I think it just brings a variety of everything that we see and read about, but actually we can actually touch, we can feel, we can see, we can smell. And I think that's really good for people to come and see. And somebody I was speaking to said the show is, in a way, going back to its more traditional roots this year. Would that be fair to say? It definitely is. I mean, we are an agricultural show. That is where our heart is. And we started with the competitions of all the animals. And it's really important to, although we need to evolve, it's really important to make sure that we keep our roots. And this year, we in particular are trying to encourage more and more farmers to come. We have created a new avenue in our agricultural area. We have over... 50 trade stands there. We've created a new bar, um, Ivington's Tavern, and that's going to be somewhere where farmers can come, they can meet each other, very social, but also the agriculture dealers and um, all the industries can go and meet. They can talk to their clients. Uh, we will have a lot going on in that area and we just think it will bring a little bit of identity to that area. Now, one of your patrons, one of your famous patrons, is none other than the king himself. Will there be a nod to his coronation at this year's event? Yes, definitely. So in the Crafts and Gardens, for example, we're running junior competitions and we're doing cupcakes there that are celebrating the king's coronation. And around the showground, people will be marking such a historic event. And like you say, Lisa, it is a, a, a real family event. And on the Saturday, there's extra incentive for the whole family to go, isn't there? There really is, because uh, with um, children coming free on Saturday, so it's only the tickets for the adults and the children all coming to the showground for free, so that makes it really easy for families to attend the show. And in terms of getting to the event as well, West Point, perhaps not the easiest place to get to at certain times, but there is going to be a bus service there. Yes, we've always had a bus service coming out from um, Exeter bus station and that runs regularly. But this year, due to demand, we've actually managed to get a bus that goes directly from the um, Exeter train station straight through to West Point. And just finally, Lisa, if anyone's listening who maybe hasn't gone before, why should this be the year that they finally, finally attend the Devon County show? I think this year... It's got something for everybody. We have all the agriculture, uh, we have all the animals, we have the show jumping, we have the horses, but there's also a lot of trade stands. So if you want to do some shopping, we have a huge amount of trade stands, whether it's crafts and gardens where you want to buy some jewellery or you want to go to the food and drink. There is an offering for absolutely everybody. It's a great site, um, lots of accessibility. So we really encourage everybody to come in and just sample what we can offer. 
The 2023 Devon County Show takes place next week, Thursday, Friday and Saturday at Exeter's West Point, and you can get your tickets at devoncountyshow.co.uk. Lisa, thanks very much for speaking to us on Radio X. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Devoncast from Radio X. That's it for this week. Thanks very much to all our guests and thank you as well for listening. Do join us for another episode of Devoncast next week. Catch the latest episode of Devoncast every Friday at radiox.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts.